Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? Open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 this morning. As Pastor Bruce begins a new series from Isaiah 55 called The Invitation. This morning's message is called Invitation Too Good to Refuse. Again, we'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 5. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find it here on page 418. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me, here, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know. Nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word and its power to change our lives. God, may your message speak clearly to us, Lord, and that our hearts are willing and open to hear your invitation. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as Kirk alluded to, this morning we want to begin a brand new series. In fact, it's a four-week series. As he said, we're calling The Invitation. And it's a series based on one chapter in the Bible, the chapter that we just read, Isaiah chapter 55. And of course, we read the first five verses of that chapter. You know, last year I received a, uh, a very, very exciting invitation from an Englishman named Jonathan Archer, a man whom I've never met before. He wrote to me in an email about some potentially very important information. In fact, something that, if true, would radically change my life for the rest of my life. The letter began in this way. We wish to notify you again that you were listed as a beneficiary to the total sum of 4,600,000 British pounds sterling. We contacted you because you bear the surname identity, and therefore we can present you as a beneficiary to the inheritance since there is no written will. And then the letter went on and said some other stuff, gave me some instructions to do, and it simply then ended, yours faithfully, Jonathan Archer. I got to admit, when I read that, I thought to myself, wow, that is a lot of money, 4.6 million pounds, British pounds sterling. I'm not even from England. I've never met Jonathan Archer, and yet he's kind enough to inform me, invite me to participate in something here. Kind enough to seek me out via personal email address to let me know that I'm the beneficiary of a very large sum of money. What an exciting opportunity and invitation. I know this invitation sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? But what if it is true? I can see you're a little skeptical. It's written all over your faces. Maybe you're just a little jealous that Jonathan Archer emailed me and not you. 
Oh, he did email you. You got the same invitation, didn't you? Well, here's what we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55 shows us that God is a very inviting God. And he makes a promise to us that you can count on. In fact, what we're going to see today, it's a promise that is too good to refuse. Our God is an inviting God. Please get that concept in your mind. He is an inviting God. In fact, this word inviting can have two meanings. Uh, We can say, perhaps you've even said it yourself, oh, that beach is so inviting. And immediately we know that you mean that the beach is pleasant, it's attractive, it's calling your name, come lay on me, spread your blanket, get your swimsuit on, and relax. Because I am inviting. The beach is inviting. You just want to kick back your feet and relax on it. Hear the waves come pounding on the ocean sand and relax. Or you can say, oh, Tom is inviting us to his birthday party Friday, and you mean that something special is happening on that night, and Tom wants you to be there, to be a part of it, to come to it. And the wonderful thing that we're going to see in Isaiah 55 is that God is that he is inviting in both of these ways. And no chapter in the Bible more vividly portrays this than this chapter right here in Isaiah 55. So, notice this. Get this in here. It's coming up on the screen. The invitation here that comes from God in Isaiah 55 is an open invitation to everyone to come to God. This is an invitation that's too good to refuse, and it's an invitation to every one of us here this morning. It's interesting, you'll probably notice when Kirk read the first verse here, the very first word of Isaiah 55 in God's invitation is this word, ho. And no, Isaiah's not trying to play Santa Claus here, who just happened to forget the ho, ho part of it. This two-letter word, basically is the equivalent of our word today that we use in our vernacular, hey, if you want to get someone's attention, what do you do? Hey, hey you, hey, you call out to them. If you don't know their name, you just, hey, hey. And so Isaiah here, a prophet of God, a spokesperson for God. And so God is speaking to his people, but he's doing this through Isaiah. And so Isaiah is calling out to the people, hey, listen up. He's trying to get our attention before he announces God's invitation. In other words, Isaiah is crying out, hey, everybody, listen up to me. Listen, you don't want to miss this because what I'm about to announce, listen, It's too good to refuse. In fact, this invitation lies so close to the heart of God that he repeats it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This invitation reappears again at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 22, 17, when it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. 
And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Now this morning, briefly here, what I want us to do is to focus on the first five verses of this wonderful chapter in Isaiah. And as we focus on these first five verses, I want to ask and answer three questions about God's invitation. Are you ready? Here's the first question. Who are invited? Who are invited? Isaiah 55 starts off with this open invitation to everyone. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor here this morning. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what you've done in your background or your past. And yet, this invitation is offered to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. And yet what we see is that this invitation falls into two kinds of people. The first kind is described in verse 1. The second kind is described in verse 2. Look at it again with me. These two verses, what Isaiah writes. He says, ho, or another one, hey, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 2, now here's the second kind he describes. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? So everyone here, all of the world falls into these two categories. Two groups of people or two kinds of people are invited here. God's invitation goes out to everyone, but we fall into one of these two. Let's briefly look at it with me. Two kinds of people. The first group we find is the spiritually bankrupt. The spiritually bankrupt. You say, who's that? Well, it's the thirsty who are broke and cannot pay for what they need. God's invitation goes out to everyone who thirsts in you who have no money. So two things immediately describe this first group of people. They are thirsty, but they are broke. They're thirsty and broke. And God says to anyone who is thirsty for what really satisfies in life, but has no money to pay for it, listen, you are welcome to come. Perhaps you can identify with this first group of people this morning. If that is the case for you, let me just say a word to those of you who find yourself in this first category. Perhaps you've come here this Easter morning with thirst, not so much in your mouth, but with thirst in your heart. Your heart feels like the brown, burnt grass in my backyard on a hot August day, and it hasn't rained for a long time. And in the same way, you may feel like a lot of your hopes and dreams have dried up. In fact, your dreams have almost died. And perhaps you find yourself on dead-end streets after dead-end streets after dead-end streets again and again. In other words, you're here this morning and you feel empty inside, you feel unfulfilled, you feel dissatisfied, and you think to yourself, you know what, there has to be something more to this life. 
There's got to be something more than just this, what I'm going through and what I'm feeling right now. But now everything that looks good, everything that is promising is out of reach. Why? You have no money, you have no strength, and you have no motivation. But at least you have a longing in your heart. You have a thirst within you. And the Lord says, listen, you're just a person I'm seeking after. Hey, everyone who thirsts, and you who have no money, the Lord calls out to you and He says, come to me. Listen, God is inviting you this morning to come and drink of the living waters of His resurrected Son, Jesus Christ. And so that is the first group of people. But there is also a second kind of person whom God invites, and I'm glad because I think the rest of you who don't feel like you are in the first category, you will fit into this second category if you're honest. And that is the self-sufficient. The self-sufficient. The thirsty who think they can pay for what they think they need in life. In verse 1, God said, He who has no money, come. But in verse 2, look at it, it's interesting. God talks to someone who is in a little bit different position in life. God talks to someone who has the money to buy and has the strength to labor. The first kind of person is spiritually bankrupt, and get this, and knows it. They are thirsty, and they're broke, and they know it. They freely admit it about themselves. The second kind of person here, let me tell you, they're not there yet. He's got the money, and he's still spending it. He's got the strength, and he's still laboring. But what's the result of his spending and his laboring? The result is utter frustration in his life or her life. No, this person is not like the person in the first group who's burnt out and at the end of his rope. This person is still spending, and he's still working. In our vernacular today, it would be he's still dreaming, he's still chasing, he's still searching, he's still experimenting. It may be a different job, it may be a different city, a different car, a different house, or even a different spouse. It may be a new boat, a new bike, a new grill, new season tickets, a new diet, new looks, new this, new that. It doesn't really matter. Whatever it may be, there's still a lot of looking around in this person. But there's still no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And there's no lasting satisfaction to be bought. And when you're honest with yourself, you know there's a hole in your heart the size of a canyon. And the longing that you have on the inside, no matter how sufficient you look on the outside to those around you. And God knows you better than you know yourself. And that's why God has you in mind when he now asks this heart-penetrating question, why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? So two kinds of people here are invited by the Lord this morning. The spiritually bankrupt and the self-sufficient. And I think everybody here would have to admit in being one of those two groups if we are honest with ourselves. So the second question I want to answer then is what exactly are we offered? 
What offer goes out from God to us here this morning? Well, let's look again at what God offers us in his invitation. Notice what he writes now. Let's look at it. Let's start with verse 1, but read all the way through verse 3. Ho, hey, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 2, why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Now within these verses here, God makes two incredible promises to us. His offer is two promises if we will come to him. Look at the first promise. He says, you will find satisfaction in God that is abundant. Everyone wants satisfaction in life. I haven't met anybody yet in my 46 years of living that doesn't want some level of satisfaction while living here on this earth. And that is exactly what we will find in God. We talk about customer satisfaction. In fact, we complain about the lack of customer satisfaction. We talk about job satisfaction, or the lack thereof, right? In fact, we hear the promise of satisfaction so often that it's become just another cliche in our vocabulary. But this, folks, listen to me, this is no cliche with God. He is offering us satisfaction guaranteed. And so when God says at the end of verse 2, listen diligently to me. In other words, man, put your ear to what I'm saying. Don't ignore this. This is too good to, be, to refuse. And he says, eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Now, to help us understand a little bit better what God is offering us in this satisfaction, Isaiah uses three metaphors. Did you catch it? Did you catch the three metaphors there? He talks about water. He talks about milk. And then he talks about wine. And what's interesting about these three metaphors is that they correspond to some of the three deepest needs in everyone's life here today. Water. We're not so much talking about physical water, physical milk, physical wine. They're symbols. And water here symbolizes our need for refreshment, for restoration. Think about it. When you are most thirsty in life, most dehydrated, it's water you want and nothing else. If you've ever been dehydrated from a heavy work in the hot sun, then you know there is nothing that quite satisfies like cold water. And God wants to be for your soul, your spiritual life, what water is for your body, your physical life. And that's why David wrote about God in Psalm chapter 23, 23rd Psalm, which most of us are familiar with. He says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So like a water boy, right after a football practice in the hot August sun, Isaiah shouts out to us here, come and get it. God invites you this morning to receive his refreshment and restoration that's only found in him. 
But milk, milk's a little bit different than water, isn't it? Milk symbolizes our need for nourishment and strength. When someone is dying of thirst, you give them water. But if you want a baby to grow day after day, day after day, you give a baby what? Milk on a daily basis. I like how one author said it. He said it this way. I quote his words. He says, listen, God is not just for emergencies and mountain peaks. He is for health in the long haul. He invites you not only to come alive with water, but to be stable and strong with milk. And then the third metaphor is he talks about wine. Wine symbolizes here our need for enjoyment or exhilaration in life. Wine is more than we need, in other words. Listen, wine is not for survival like water is, like milk is. Wine is for enjoyment. It's a luxury. It's, wine is a symbol in God's word. It's a symbol for joy. In other words, God wants you to do more than just survive in this life. Listen to me. God's invitation goes out to you, and he wants you to do more than survive. He wants you to thrive and enjoy life in him. And by the way, what God offers here is no soup kitchen. God says in the last part of verse 2, did you catch it? He says, listen diligently to me and eat what is, what's it say? What is good. And let your soul delight itself in what? Abundance. The word good here, you know what that refers to, what it means? It means that what God offers is top quality. It's the best there is. And this word abundance means that there's a lot of it. It's not going to run out. So the water is good, and it's plentiful. The milk is good, and it's plentiful. And the wine is good, and it's plentiful. What an incredible offer of satisfaction that God gives to us. God is willing to revive us from the heat of Death Valley with the miracle of his water and make us healthy and strong with the miracle of his milk and then give us endless enjoyment with the miracle of his wine. Listen to me, folks. This is an invitation to find true satisfaction in God. Now, that's an offer that's too good to refuse. But wait, there's a second promise to it. As if that's not enough, notice the second promise. He says, you will find salvation in God that lasts forever. Look what God says next through Isaiah in verse 3. Look at it again, verse 3. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Here in your soul shall live. And then he qualifies it. He says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. In verse 1, God says, it's interesting, he says, come to the waters. Yes, come by wine and milk. But in verse 3, God says, come to who? Come to me. In some of your Bibles, the me even may be capitalized. The me there is in reference to the Lord. In other words, God is our living water. God is our nourishing milk. God is our exhilarating wine. And then God goes on to say that when we come to Him, He makes an everlasting covenant with us. Which means that the salvation that we have in God is not based on a contract, but rather it's based on a covenant. And immediately we may be asking ourselves, well, all right, what is the difference between a contract 
and a covenant. I'm familiar with the word contract, not so much familiar with the word covenant. Let me briefly explain here. A contract involves two people that agree to perform in a certain way, such as, I'll do this and you do that. And if either party reneges on their part as outlined in the contract, well, what happens? The contract is broken. All right? But a covenant is totally different than a contract. First of all, a covenant is relationship-based. It's a relationship that is not dependent on the performance of one of the parties. Our God is telling us here that he's not a contract God, but rather he is a covenant God. And that's why he says, I'm making a covenant commitment to you when you come to me for satisfaction and salvation. This means God has entered into a relationship with us that can't be changed, get this, by your behavior or my behavior. In other words, when I screw up in my life, when I mess up in my life, when I blow it in my life, God doesn't run out and tear up the contract. It says I have a relationship with him. That's not the kind of God we have. That's not the offer he goes and is offering to us. Man, I don't know about you, but that's pretty enormous because most relationships in this world are based on, and they'll never say this verbally, but they're based on contracts. If you don't hold up to your end of the deal in this marriage, I'm walking out. You don't do this, you get the idea. Folks, that's not the kind of God we have. That's not the God that is offering us an invitation here this morning. God offers us a covenant relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, that lasts forever. You may wonder, well, what does this kind of relationship look like? Isaiah tells us it's going to be like God's relationship with David. Do you remember King David? The man who sought after God's own heart, and yes, the one who sought after Bathsheba a little too much, and then committed adultery with her, and eventually murdered his, her husband. As bad as David blew it, though, even his sins, this is amazing now, couldn't stop God's mercy from flowing into David's life. David. David's the poster boy for what God means by a covenant relationship. This is the kind of relationship we have with God when we come to Him. And God says He promises to measure His love toward us according to the faithful mercy shown to God. But hold on. God says, my mercy is even bigger than that. It's even greater than that. Notice what God says through Isaiah in verse 5. Don't have time to go into all the explanation of this, but just notice what he says in verse 5. He says, surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. What God is saying here, let me briefly explain. He's saying that my salvation that I'm offering to you is not just about one nation anymore. 
in that time frame, it was about God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. In fact, if you watched the Ten Commandments last night, how many saw it? Charleston Heston? Yes. You know, it's on every Easter. You get the idea of who the children of Israel are. But God is saying, my salvation is not just for those people anymore. It's now about, get this, the whole world. What began as a specific plan of salvation for one specific people group is now available to all the people groups of the world. That's why I said at the beginning, it doesn't matter what nationality you are. Doesn't matter what country you come from or where you were born, because God's plan of salvation comes to everyone this morning. God's invitation is to find satisfaction and salvation for everyone. Now, how cool is that? Which brings us to one final question What are we told to do to find this kind of satisfaction and salvation in God? What God tells us what to do in verses 2 and 3 when he says, listen diligently to me. Incline your ear and come to me. Now, let me just summarize real quickly. That is what the Bible means by faith. We come to God in faith. How do you respond to God's invitation? Notice this on the screen. Listen to God. Listen to his invitation. Open your heart to him and then come to him in faith. But this begs to ask the question. Well, if everyone is invited here this morning, Bruce, then why doesn't everyone come? Now, is that not a great question? If this invitation of God goes out to everyone... Everyone is invited, then why doesn't everyone come to God? I mean, why would you ever want to pass up on satisfaction that is abundant? Why would you ever want to pass up on a salvation that lasts forever? Why would you not want that? So why, even in this building, this auditorium this morning, now, even still, why are there some who have yet to come? Let me give you two objections. These are probably the two biggest objections that people have. The first objection is they think in their minds, they say to themselves, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. And you're right. You can't afford what God has to offer. That's why it is a gift from God. Listen, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, LeBron James, whoever your celebrity star is, Take all their wealth combined and they can't afford God's water, God's milk, and God's wine. That's what makes God's offer so incredible. It's free to those who are spiritually bankrupt and they are willing to admit it. Because to stand before God and say, I am bankrupt, is to admit my need to God. It's to admit who I am spiritually. I'm a sinner. I was born a sinner, and I'm a sinner by choice. And there's nothing I can do to attain a relationship with God. I'm spiritually bankrupt, and I'm at the end of my ropes, and if something radical doesn't change in my life, there is no hope for me when this life is over. 
That's the idea of being spiritually bankrupt. And you know it. You admit it. And you come to God in faith wanting what he has to offer now. It's a free gift. And that's why Isaiah says, no money? Hey, no problem. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And you ask, well, how can something so valuable be so free? Listen, folks, it's free because God, get this, this is how much he loves you. It's free because God has already paid the price with Jesus' death on the cross. It's free because the work of redemption was accomplished on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. You can read all about it, what God did for you in Isaiah 53, two chapters before this. In fact, the reason we now have Isaiah 55 is because of what Jesus did in Isaiah 53. 55 is based on 53. And so the work... Isaiah prophesies about what Jesus was going to do, how he is our suffering servant, how he would be mocked, how he would die on the cross and then resurrect, and all that was to pay for my sin price, the penalty of my sin. Listen, it's free because God's already paid the price. doesn't mean it wasn't costly because it cost Jesus' life. It cost God's son his life and now through his resurrection jesus or god cries out to us through isaiah and he offers us this invitation but here's the second objective the first one is some think i can't afford it and you're right you can't can only be paid for by jesus but the second objection by some is i don't believe it in isaiah's day just like in our day there are people who were living on substitutes that did not satisfy them. When they needed the real thing, which only the Lord could give. But they doubted God's offer of the real thing because they were deceived by their substitutes that the world was offering. This is why Isaiah asked in verse 2, and I love how the message paraphrases this. Listen to it. He says, why do you spend your money on junk food and your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? Listen to me. Listen well. Eat only the best. Fill yourself with only the finest. In other words, Isaiah is saying this is like spending money on Happy Meals with cheap toys that provide a temporary thrill, but nothing of lasting value when all the while God Almighty invites us to eat freely at the greatest banquet ever served to feed our hungry souls. Let's play a game for a moment here. The game is called Name That Person. Let's see how good you are. He was born July 26, 1943 in England. He met Keith Richards as a five-year-old schoolmate. Years later, he formed a band and performed around London as the Rolling Stones. Most of you know who I'm talking about. Propelled to the top of the charts in the U.S. with one song recognized as an all-time great, a life scattered with drug arrests, illegitimate children, and riotous concerts. Trade magazines herald him as one of rock and roll's greatest successes, yet the emptiness of Mick Jagger's life calls out pathetically like one of his hit songs, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Mick Jagger said in one interview, and I quote his words, 
I would rather be dead than singing satisfaction at age 45. This year he turned 70, and he's still singing the same song and still searching for the same satisfaction. And he's coming up empty every time. A few years ago, 60 Minutes did an interview with Tom Brady. Everyone knows Tom Brady, the New England Patriots quarterback. By age 28, Tom Brady had already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that sets him apart from the all-time NFL quarterback greats. As most of you know, he's married to a supermodel, and he's on the cover of multiple magazines each year. But in the interview with 60 Minutes, Brady spoke of his hunger for something more. I quote his words. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, gosh, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Are you getting the message? Listen to me. The only place, the only person where you will find satisfaction is in a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you've never turned to God, take a look at your life and honestly ask yourself, man, what am I waiting for this morning? If you've been living apart from God and trying to fill that emptiness with other things, let me encourage you, please stop. Because you are wasting your money, you're wasting your time, and you're wasting your life. Come to God. Come in faith to Him and discover the satisfaction that only God can bring through Jesus Christ. Because once you experience the real thing, the lasting thing, you'll never long anything else. Woo! Let me tell you, that's an invitation that's too good to refuse. Listen, this is no email scam from Isaiah. Most of you have received email scams like I did from a person, so-called John Archer, from England, from South Africa, whatever the country may be. You've received them enough, you don't even bother to read it anymore. You just delete. Folks, don't delete God's invitation this morning. It's not a scam. Isaiah is not pulling your leg here. What God offers is true. It's real and it's lasting. And he offers you satisfaction in his son Jesus Christ. He offers you salvation that will last For eternity. Will you respond to God's invitation? Will you come to God in faith and find satisfaction and salvation in Him alone? With your heads bowed. This is our part of the service where we respond to God. This is the part of the service that's just between you and God. It's it's where you can look in your heart, in your life, and you can cry out to God and express to Him your heart's desire.
And if God is speaking to you, listen, now is the time to respond. With your head still bowed, I want to ask if God is speaking to you and you're ready to respond and you're willing to admit, man, I'm spiritually bankrupt and I know it. I need what God is offering. Would, Would you be willing just to raise your hand? Nobody looking around, but I'd just like to pray for you. Would you be willing to raise your hand? That's me in my life. Thank you. Lord, we come to you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the invitation and the offer that goes out to all of us here this morning. Lord, I pray that we would search our hearts, we would be honest with ourselves. I pray that your word would reveal to us this morning where we are in relation to you. I thank you for those who had the courage to raise their hands to kind of admit, I need you, Lord, in my life. I want to come to you. And so, Lord, I pray as we come to this response time that you will do a work that only you can do. I pray that those that are ready to respond would would come to you in faith. And, Lord, they would express that faith to you, even maybe through the prayer that's right there at the bottom of their notes. And they can say that prayer in sincerity. Use their own words, whatever the case. But they would come to find satisfaction and salvation in you. And so, Lord, as the praise team sings, may you do your work. We pray these things in your name. Amen. The praise team's going to sing, and the invitation goes out to you to respond. Will you do that as they sing?